Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. All right, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. For a large chunk of these older episodes, I've had to cut the original intros as part of a migration process. So all that means is we're going to get straight into the interview here with the name that you clicked on. No warm-ups, no preamble, just a straight one, two and in. You ready? One... I think that's like a common thread and kind of also kind of one of the one of the sort of outside periphery reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is because I think uh, how could you have a job and consistently lie to your boss about how you're not going away until you go away oh mate yeah 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 so uh we started the band in early 2016 after i come oh early to end of 2015 when i come back from fest and then uh was that kind of some inspiration from fest or was it planned before total total inspiration i we i didn't i was at uni uh before i went to fest got taken there by my mate come home and was like 
that's it. I'm fucking starting a band and we're playing this. Like, Because I, I met Tony there. That's Tony Winebender, Booker of the Fest. And I was like, mate, I was like, this festival's fucking sick. And like, I, it, I was just like, you know, because I was 19 years old and like, it's so it's so funny. People people can be quite cynical, you know, um, when it comes to music. And I think um, a lot of people forget that to a lot of people, music's quite magical. Do you know what I mean? It's very dreamy. Mm-hmm. It, it, it mm-hmm. is like, and the reality- There's a reason why we've spent like half of our, like, well, more than half our lives caring about something, reading into something, talking about it. Yeah, exactly. It's what you, it's, you know, it's what you love. And it's one of them in any capacity. My dream has always been to just play in a band. Like what we do now, it's like, if I told myself when I was 13, this is what I'd be doing. I'd be absolutely over the moon. Do you know what I mean? Like- mm. The, it's it's fucking brilliant. So I was very inspiring. We come back, started the band, and then in February of 2016, I got the email uh, in my uni flat confirming that we were like confirming we were going to play a fest um, for what would have we hadn't actually had a gig when we got booked for fest. I don't think. <laughs> I think we might have done one. We might have done one like pay to play indie gig, but we it fest ended up being our ninth one. When I got that email. Uh, I was like, that's it. I was like, I'm like 19, I'm at uni, like playing a band. I have no idea my band's shit. I'm like, my band's obviously the best band ever because we're going to America to play a festival and we're kids and like we haven't even done a gig yet. So I was like, sound, I'm well going to be famous. This is easy. I was like, what a piece of piss this is. I was like, cheers. Again, just naivety. We didn't know, we didn't, we literally, like, because we didn't know we were shit yet. Because no one had actually told us. We just assumed we were great. We just thought like, oh yeah. We didn't know that like, we kind of thought that like, you write a song, you play it to people and that's like all it took. Like, you know, because we liked bands like the Flatliners and stuff. You know, we didn't know that there was like hours and hours of very, very, very important pivotal practice and great musicianship yeah. going into what yeah. made them so good. We thought they just picked up the shit and played. That's what, and that's what we would do, which was very much what the fest set was. But it was, um, yeah, it was when about April of that year, um, I dropped out of uni because I was like, I'm going to do my band. Fuck it. This is it. I'm just going to, That's this is my chance now. This is my excuse to just go play in a band because I'd seen from going to fest and speaking to bands there, like, Pears and Aspie bands I was like massively into they all just had jobs but they all toured and they all did what I wanted to do and that festival made me realize that being in a band wasn't about being famous and being a big band it's just about playing in the band like Mm. and when you're like 19 it's like that's like a very powerful tool that to give you some purpose in life much needed purpose so I was like, okay, what do I need to do? I need to get a job. And that's when it all started. And it was May of 2016. I started working at a, a skateboarding themed bar in the Northern quarter of Manchester called Cane and Grain. It was an absolute party bar. It was ridiculous. It's a, uh, it was, it was my favorite bar in Manchester, which it tends to be the case when you work somewhere, to be fair. It's the first time I'd ever worked in a bar and it was the first time I'd ever been exposed really to the Manchester bar scene and stuff like that. You know, it was a very, because where I went to uni, uh, I went to uni in Bangor in North Wales and it wasn't, it was a very small city and it wasn't like Manchester at all. It didn't have bars, it had pubs and one shit nightclub, like really, really weird place to go to uni. I don't know why I left Manchester. You grew up in Manchester. Yeah, I grew up. I was born in Salford and then I 
grew I spent like my teenage years up in like North Berry. Rather embarrassingly, I I was at that age where you kind of you don't you don't realise how irrelevant everything around you is and how much everything's gonna change. So I thought that like if I went to uni in Manchester, it wouldn't be enough of a change and I'd still see all the same people from the sort of small town where I'd spend my teenage years. I didn't want to do that. But really, if I'd gone to Manchester, I definitely wouldn't have seen anybody at all. But I thought, yeah, I need to go somewhere else. So I went there. Plus as well, they were like the only uni that would have me. I really, really was underqualified to go to uni. It was quite funny. <laughs> so so you're working in this bar in Manchester. Did you, did you sort of find yourself, did that fit into the way you were living at the time? No, it was like, so at the time I'd moved in with my grandma because um, she lived nearest to Manchester and my mum and her husband, my dad had moved to a... Uh, moved to Cornwall so I'm like right okay <sighs> let's you know th- it's going to be exciting this it's going to be fine working in a bar what it was was um like the the most outrageously intense thing ever to happen to me in my life I was so unprepared for it all in what sense so basically right so the bar I worked at was like it was quite a trendy bar, and at the time, it was doing really well. Um, it wasn't so much students; it was more like people my age. Just like it was very, it was very much for people like myself. Now, at the time, I'm quite chubby, blue hair, love Green Day, very naive about the world, just sort of looking to have a good time. Pretty, pretty up for having a laugh. I was very intimidated by everybody. I've started to realise I was too anxious maybe for bar work. I always had a thing when I was working in the bar. I'm quite, I'm a bit of an anxious person, right? And if there's one thing you don't want to be doing in that state, it's trying to pick up piss people's glasses when they're all fucking massive moshes or like, I don't know, they were just like, everyone, when you're like 19, it's kind of like when you're in year seven. When you're like 19 and you and you start like working in a bar and all the people you're serving are like full-blown adults and you still feel like a child it's like every everyone just felt like a giant it was very intimidating all of a sudden that's like the first day that um the working and doing a band thing just became how life was it was like it was so bizarre because every single shift from that point on for a good few weeks was just effectively partying yeah so you you work in this like this job that at the time's great partying you've got your crap little band together and that feels like the most important thing ever so i was like yeah this is fucking sick i'm living the absolute dream it was great for about six months and then i started going insane for me it was great until like we started wanting to play and go to gigs um one of the things about the DIY scene, especially when you're starting, is that people want you to go to gigs as well as playing them. But the problem was is that I was working every weekend and I really wanted to, you know, when you start touring and that, your desire to go to gigs just on a Saturday, it kind of lessens because it's like, ah, you know, I've been at work all week or I've got two, like, you know, you've not got a free weekend. So on a weekend, like when you, you're touring a lot, you can just stay in. But then I was like very much wanting to go to every gig and that. It started becoming a problem that my predominant time of working was when gigs would commence, which is weekends, Friday and Saturday nights. So that got in the way. And I, and as well, like, because I was, again, because I was so sort of naive, I, I had no idea that getting 
absolutely smashed four nights a week and doing that as a job i had no idea how unhealthy that was either i kind of look back on it with a bit of a a bit of a forked tongue because part of me loved it but part part of me is like quite re- quite regrets a lot of uh, decisions i've made in it but i think that's just part of youth isn't it uh, yeah absolutely and i think that's part of partying it's wonderful until it's not. Yeah, 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 exactly. I actually managed to get myself into an insane amount of debt. There was a three-week period where I actually lost 270 quid working. Jesus. Like, so... <laughs> That's kind of funny. It is Sorry. not. It's funny. No, no, no. You, mate, honestly, Giles, uh, the, I, I came on to share these for you to laugh at me, honestly. <laughs> Great. So I, I have this problem, right? And I'm like, fuck, how can I fix it? I'm like, okay, well, I get paid every week. I know I'll get a payday loan, and that is that is really when a, a series of problems began for me. There, when sweet lady Wonga showed her ugly face into my life. Wonga, Wonga. So yeah. you, you you work at the pub, you're losing money from working there. Yeah. Um, did did you call it quits? Did you get did you get fired? How how did it happen? It was quite bliss actually. Um, I worked there for six months, and I was a barback for the entire time, pretty much. Um, and it, I was finding it a bit annoying because barback work it is Charlie work. It really, really is. And I'm not very strong. I'm also non-binary, right? And it was quite a masculine uh, environment I worked in, and I was constantly being told to man up. That I'm quite weak, you see. I wasn't able to do like deliveries. I really struggled carrying kegs upstairs. Like I physically didn't have the strength for it. And I can't. And I would get given a lot of uh, a lot of uh, masculine based slack for it, uh, which isn't like which isn't something that uh, you, I hold you hold against people because people don't know, and that's just how people are. But for me personally, that was obviously a bit challenging. But obviously, I don't hold it against them. It was just not where I wanted to work. How did you find dealing with that? I mean, like, what were your what kind of mechanisms did you use, sort of internally and externally? Well, when I first I started questioning uh, my like gender and sexuality when I was about 15. And I always, despite the fact that like, I, you know, I, kept, I, was, I was brought up in an environment where that was very, that wouldn't have been an issue. Like, it wouldn't have been an issue with my mum or anything. My granddad was gay. Like we would have been, to, my grandma started Pride she started Pride uh, Parade in Manchester. So I would... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when it was Mardi Gras. What, what's her name? Uh, Dot Shufflebottom. Dot Shufflebottom. Yeah. What a fantastic name. I know. She's a fantastic woman as well. She's my hero. But uh, it would it would have all been fine, but it was more um, social pressures and what it, what it sort of meant to, to be a lad and be a boy. And I'd, you know, I'd always been very sensitive. I'd always been, you know, I was brought up by my mum. I was always like my mum. And, you know, I, the way I can describe my gender is my gender was growing up wishing I was wanting to be Bart Simpson but deep down always being Lisa Simpson so do you know what I mean it's like but the other thing is is it's always been very internalized like it's one of them things where I don't um I don't um speak about it tons because I find it I find it's one of those things where like you you if if I started uh getting too upset over Pro, this is just me personally for everybody it's different that's one thing that everyone has to remember but for me personally i always find stuff like pronouns is you're just going to end up reminding people forever do you know what i mean and the other thing is as well is that um is is that because of society i i'm 
it's easy to just call me quite laddie. Do you know what I mean? That's a, it, but I find that quite upsetting because we're aerial solid are very much not lads at all. I, if, I think it's funny that like being loud and boisterous is immediately associated loud, boisterous, and you know, like confident and just shouty is immediately associated with masculinity. Uh, and being a man when it definitely shouldn't be. I think that's years of patriarchal sexism, uh, sort of pushing women to be quiet. That seems that. So to me, that's wrong. But yeah, for me personally, it's so irrelevant to anyone else because it's like an in, it's like an internal thing. I just think, I just think, I don't know. I just feel like surely we're past the point of, surely we're past the point of gender now in 2020. Surely, surely we're past masculinity. Because you, I just, I just don't get how people can't see. Th- just can't see through it like there's so many behaviors that you see in men there's so many negative behaviors that you see in men and you can just directly pinpoint it to the way that they've been brought up to be a man because of this this definition of what it means to be a man that hunter killer like it's like like example like a mate of mine uh his his girlfriend was chatting to somebody on the internet and it was pissing him off and i'm like why is it pissing you off? And he's like, he's like, oh, because she's chatting to someone else. I'm like, the only reason it's pissing you off is because you think it, you think it should piss you off. There's no reason this should be. You just society's made you think that that's a bad thing that you need to protect her and stuff like that. It's not, it's not. That's not the case. It's fine. Like you, you, you know, you can have a bit of trust in your partner. Can chat to people. That's that's obviously fine. And it's like those behaviours root back to. Or I think uh, can be very easily laid back to men being taught up that they've got to, you know pr- protect their family. You know you've got to, you've got to really be there and you've got to uh, what is it support and provide for your family. Do you know what I mean? And protect mm-hmm. people. It's like nah, it's like you, nah, you don't. You just need to be a fucking decent person. Do you know what I mean? The movies that the movies that we've seen and, and those characters and that and also like the music that we listen to and you know I, I'm I'm still trying to figure out whether. Blink 182 can be pro- like quite problematic because of all those lyrics about girls and trying to get laid. And this is the dude, bro, that I need to be to try and get laid and try and get someone to strip on webcam for me. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, very much so, very much so, very much so. We shouldn't be ashamed of having this discourse about being confused. You know, everything on its merit should be taken seriously for what it is. Like nothing's 100% a joke. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it is a comp. I think it's made into a complicated subject because people get arsy very quickly and people, people don't, it's, I think, um, especially on the internet where you've got an immediate opinion, Mm. the world's forgotten that opinions are opinions and that like to a degree, not Tommy Robinson, not his opinion, because that's just hair, but a genuine opinion. So say you don't like a band I like, that kind of opinion, yeah? Those are actually great. People's opinions are great, and having different opinions is very interesting. That's how you get a good conversation out of someone normally. That's where, like, the funniest, you know, when you have, like, a jokey argument about something. We all love that. Um, and I feel like with issues, like, it's interesting that when, when it comes to, like, lyrics being pop- problematic, I know what you mean. Because obviously I listen to, like, I've got a Descendants tattoo, so... Some of those lyrics can be a bit creepy. Yeah, mate, mate like, I got, there's very, very, in, it's, mate, it's a maximum incel music, but fortunately, fortunately, I'm very lucky that I can retrospectively look at that and go, oh no, that is massive incel music. And I can also... That's what, so, that's what music, sorry? It's, it, it's very incel, isn't it? Incel? Yeah. 
I don't know that word. Do you not? Let me get, hang on. I've got my computer to hand. Let me get you an urban dictionary. Let's get an urban dictionary going. So I don't paraphrase. Right, okay. The term involuntary celebrate, shortened to insult, refers to self-identifying members of an online subculture based around the inability to find romantic or a sexual partner despite desiring one, a state they describe as inceldom. So basically what incels are is incels tend to be blokes that can't get laid and don't have a girlfriend that want one and think it's women's fault, but actually it's their fault because they're, but it's the, it's the woman's fault that no one loves them. They're those people. And that's, ve- right. and that's very much what the lyrics in Milo Goes to College are very like. It's like, oh, you don't love me. That's your problem. It's actually yeah. not Milo, funnily enough. It's actually yeah. not. Yeah. But again, it's like, you know, when you're 19, it's like, you, it's like you know, you are going to, you, you are going to, it's like you will listen to stuff like that and have a nice little cry. But then part of becoming an adult is you know being a bit sort of embarrassed about stuff like that if you think there's a slither of a chance you can maybe help shed some wisdom on someone acting like a complete if, if you can think that you might be able to help that person change you should try and help that person see the wider spectrum you know alex alex wonk was a, a pivotal person in my life because i met i met him when i was 19 and he he took me on tour which is how i actually left that job when we'll eventually get back onto it but um he and alex was um other than my mother he was alex was the first male feminist i ever met and i thought i understood and respected women but i just didn't i just didn't mm. uh, from the things alex like the way Alex would talk about uh, women and stuff, I remember being in the front of the van and we were talking about the red light district in Holland and I was saying, I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of weird how they just stood there in windows and that. And then Alex, uh, he had a massive go at me and he was like, he's like, you do not insult women in the sex industry. He was like, they are women. He was like, these pe- the, like, these people are making money using their bodies and using their power over weak, pathetic men. He was like, that's fucking amazing. He was like, that's a brilliant... And it's like, oh, yeah, it is. But I find a lot of these things that you're expected to just know, they're not... Think- so, like, reading, writing, counting, you're expected to know those things. You taught them in school, Yeah you're not taught about social issues and you're not taught about any of this stuff because people don't have these conversations with you at all. So you're really in a position of you're either lucky enough to sort of work it all out yourself or you get pointed in the right direction. The thing to do then isn't to like give people shit who maybe haven't been given the tools at an age, like an early age to develop these skills and develop this understanding and respect for like, fellow people because you're just not taught to respect people you're actually taught to hate people you look in the media like you look in newspapers and stuff it's constantly you're pushed to fear other humans and hate other humans you know when when i was like struggling with my gender like gender identity i thought the, the best thing to do was just like be one of the lads and call everything gay join in with that do you know what i mean it's like it can be the easy way out mate you just this is what you're taught that's what you're taught to do this is the problem yeah the problem is is that like not just young, like in general, the, you're taught to be like quite horrible and shit to people. Now, your parents, luckily, you know, my mum was fucking brilliant and my grandma was brilliant. They brought me up very well. So I wasn't like, I was, you know, I wasn't a fucking raging scumbag. Do you know what I mean? I was like a very regular person. But you need that outside influence. And like, I don't think it's, I don't think the right thing to do is to net, if it's something 
you know, where somebody's maybe made a bit of a, fo- a foible, you know, someone's perhaps been a bit ignorant. I don't think the best thing to do is attack him. I think the best thing to do is have a chat with him. Do you know what I mean? Who doesn't want to make the world better? Very well said. I think something that I see still all around me with, you know, people who are into the same subcultures as as myself, it's a very masculine thing to think that you can't raise your hand and say, look, I don't understand. Could someone tell me this? Rather than just kind of nod along and be like, yeah, obviously, obviously. You know, things aren't obvious. No, they're not. You should be able to. You should be able to say, "Wait, I don't really understand." C- could you just give me a few more minutes? You know, explain to me. You know, or or say that you don't know. I don't know. That sometimes that can be the best thing you can say, and quite often the only thing you can say. I don't know. I need to. In- I need to inform myself. I very very rarely talk about stuff like this because um, I don't. You don't want to. You don't want to upset anybody. You don't want to because again, like you know, it's a, it is a difficult subject. But I think the 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 general sort of consensus is, is that uh, the the world we live in at the moment is a world that is progressing and it's progressing at a fast rate and it's progressing at a fast rate because people are demanding social justice. People are demanding justice for themselves and that's fantastic and that's fucking brilliant. And if you are part of that and if you understand that and if you are understanding where people are coming from, then the best thing you can do is just try and fucking pass that on to people. You know, you don't have to... Uh, yeah. it's, like, it's like Mike in our band... Like Mike's a couple of years younger than me and like all of his mates were very laddie and stuff like that. And I had this, you know, when I was 19, I'd had this relationship with Alex and I was starting to, and as well, you know, I'd been listening to a lot, like gotten really into a lot of different bands and stuff like that. And I'd really started to have this change and this change in my attitude towards myself and my own identity and, my, and all, all the things. So everything just started to not makes it wasn't instant it was just the beginning of things making sense and i was able to sort of pass that on to mike like if mike was being like mike mike would like sometimes peacock and that and i'd just be like are you all right like why are you why are you doing this and i remember one day in the car he was just we just had a little sob he was like oh i've not been feeling myself i've just been feeling a bit down and like and then we had a big chat and then ever since that day me and mike have just been able to chat to each other about literally anything we call it breaking the conditioning me and Mike, we've like broken the conditioning to what society deems uh, a quote unquote male friendship needs to be and to what society dictates that we need to be doing. We, we've, it's, we've, got, we are, we've been watching a lot of conspiracy stuff, so breaking the conditioning is very, <laughs> very much in there. We re- Good language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just mentioned about how Alex took you on tour, Wonk Unit took you on tour. Yeah. And that, that, that ended your stint at the bar. Alex, uh, before just when he started uh, looking after us was like let me take you on tour doing merch and it was right it was like the it was like december the maybe 7th to the 14th so right around a very busy time for the bar and it was really starting to kill me like working there i was really not enjoying it and i but i i, I felt like i would enjoy it more if i was a bartender so i was kind of like look can you make me a bartender and the manager said i, I can't until after christmas and then I said, I've got this, I've been asked to go on this tour and I gave him, only gave him a week notice because that's all I was giving. I was like, you know, I really want to go on it. It was like, I can't give you the time off. What annoyed me was he was like, there's only going to be, you know, I only had to work two shifts. It was one weekend. I was like, oh, you know, can I not just have it off? He couldn't give it me. So I was just like, all right, okay. Well, I'm just going to leave this job then. I'll just quit. And that was the the first of many times where a job had been quit to go on tour and it was yeah best decision i ever made i've i'm quite lucky i don't want to jinx it but i've i've never found it hard to get a i've been really lucky that i've had minimal time where i've found it hard to get a job i've i've been so lucky where 
stuff's just come. But getting hours in bars is a, is a different matter. Like, they'd hire a load of people, but, you know, you, you really would be looking at only working weekends. If you were lucky, you'd get, like, a Thursday and a Wednesday thrown in. But, You're uh, getting paid, what, £7.50 an hour? No, nah, mate, £6.20 it was at the time. Insane. Yeah, yeah. That's madness. What can you do with that money? Get your, get yourself a couple of Mackey's meals. Get yourself a bag of beak for work. <laughs> and that's it. Wow. Right, right. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Like, it was fucking, honestly. Well, I lived with my nan, so I, food food was covered and she didn't charge me rent, which was very kind of her. If she knew what, if she knew what I was up to, she might have. You're a likeable person. You got the cheeky vibe. Cheers, thank you. Those people get employed at uh, at those places that that need that need cheeky people. I think um, it's been it was it's all different types. All the all the bars um, I'd found it quite easy. Keeping bar jobs was a different story. I was not very good at keeping them. After- what happened after that? What happened after that tour then? So after that tour. Um, because I- those tours go very quickly, don't they? Uh, they, oh- they before a tour, you're like. Oh, cool! I can, literally cannot see my life beyond the end of this tour. <laughs> yeah, and then and then it happens in a flash. You, you get about once you once you've got about four days left on a tour, you're like, uh oh, I've got to go back to normality soon. And um, I, I come back, um, obviously jobless, and my granddad's carers at the time, Jason and Chris, they owned a cafe together in Charlton, and uh, Chris offered me a job there. So I went and worked there, just sort of doing front of house it was like it was a nice little sort of like family run it was full of old people it was really really good he then um sold it to somebody else this guy called johnny and the business it wasn't doing great for business um but the business then ended up taking a really bad downward spiral and i was only there for four months it was the best job of my entire life though it was how how so so I would, there would only, as the business got worse and worse, there was no need for many staff. And it got to a point where it was basically me doing front of house, this chef that looked like John Lennon, who'd do a couple of days, I can't remember his name, and then this uh, head chef, Sam. And honestly, I'm chatting like a couple of old people would come in a day and I'd make him like a cup of coffee or a tea and we'd just have a little natter and you know weird people would come in and have a sit down because it's quite central in Charlton. Bez came in one day it was a sat- I think it was either a Saturday or a Sunday morning but he'd definitely been out the night before he looked like he fucking well needed a latte so I'll give him one for free <laughs> and uh, I, ju- I just said That's to him so nice I just said to him I was like how are your bees and he went, he went the bees yeah man the fucking sound I'll bring you some honey in next time I'm here never got that tin of honey never got it never got a picture <laughs> with him either gutted so after finishing at the cafe, I worked in a couple of more pubs um, and after getting sacked from a JW Lee's pub, can I tell you this story? Because it's quite funny. Please. So I worked in a, a shit JW Lee's pub in Salford called the Bluebell and it was Salford out of its fucking head. It was in Monton, which had been fairly gentrified. It was a shitly run pub and it was at, like, you would never think to go there. You wouldn't, you wouldn't bring your like, you wouldn't bring your worst enemy there because it'd be a waste of your time. It was just, it was just shit. And um, I was like, I was the only person that my mum said, she was like, you know, Jay, you, you're not the uh, brightest academically. When you get jobs, just graft, just work your hardest, just be a fucking John and just do it. And she was like, because you'll something good might come if you work hard. She went, if you, if you don't work hard, nothing good will come. So I always graft it at work, right? 
And it fucking pissed me off in this bar because I was the only one who, who, I felt like I was the only one who did anything. Now, it came up to this bank holiday weekend. Um, it was like, it was it was just coming up towards 4.20. And I'm like, all right, got the bank holiday off. Going to be really good. Just going to get high with my mates. It's going to be sound. I get called in to do a double shift on the Sunday. And I'm like, right, okay, sound. And I said to my manager, Marie, I was like, I'll do it. I went, but I'm going to come into work high. Every time I'd, every, the last two times that that date had occurred, I'd actually been working for it. Once was at Mackey's, got very high and did drive through all day. It was sick. And I uh, can't remember what the other one was because I was so high. Um, but I was like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to come in high. Is that all right? And she was basically just like, yeah, that's sound. So I was like, oh yeah, safe, gotten away with it. So in the morning, go to work, have a massive joint, really, really high, sort of semi-taking the piss a bit, get there, bit quiet in, you know, early morning, no one's really at the pub yet, two hours of doing nothing, I say to my manager, now I will point out, it wasn't the manager who'd asked me to do the shift, it was someone else, Amory hadn't come in yet, I say to my manager, can I go outside for a smoke? And she's like, she's like, yeah, sound. And my manager knew I was, the other manager knew I was high, mm. go outside, and when you're high, and you're young, and even when you're high and you're a bit older, you do, it, you, you, your inhibitions are lowered slightly, and you f- sort of forget that smoking weed's a big deal. Like when you're do, because I, I tend not to smoke weed when I work because it's just on. It, I find it unhealthy. But when you're doing like very normal things when you're high, it makes you forget that you're high and that being high is bad and wrong and frowned upon. Really makes you forget that. So. I, I'm just like, oh, I'll go for a smoke. I'll obviously have a joint. Now, we had a beer garden in the front, and in the back, we just had like a little area you could have a fag in. So I've gone out and rolled a joint, and upstairs was one of the women from JWE's like head office who was auditing our bar because of how poorly it had been run. I'm outside having a joint. Obviously, the smell of my joint is just going into the entire pub, right? Yeah. And I'm out there just smoking away. She comes outside this woman, opens the back door, and she looks at me, and it was like being transported back to high school. It was like my vision went blurry, apart from her, who was in perfect clear focus. And she goes, what are you doing? And I just, I look at my joint, I look at her, I look back, and then I, I just go, oh my fucking God, I'm, I, I, are you going to sack me? And she went, yeah, you need to leave the premises immediately on calling the police. She's like, you need to leave now. And because I'm a bit of a fucking jobs with, I'm like, do you not still want me to do the double shift? She's like, no, you need to go now. So I'm like, all right, okay, shit. So I go downstairs, get my bag, start walking home. And as I'm sort of bobbing away home, listening to Electric Avenue, I'm like, wait a minute. What the fuck just happened? Why the fuck did I do that? I was like, why the fuck did I do that? I was like, why did I do that? I had holiday pay I needed to get, which I wouldn't get because I'd been sacked. And also, I could have done with working there for a couple more weeks. I, I just couldn't believe I'd done it. And I'm walking home and I'm like, what the fuck am I going to tell my nan? My nan's going to be like, why aren't you in work? I'm like, so I, I go home and I'm like, oh, nan, quit work. Nan, uh, boss was calling me. A... She's like, oh, love, I'll go make you a sandwich. You relax. So I'm sat there monging out on my set here going, what the fuck am I going to do? A few weeks later, I end up going, right, I need to get like a, a nine to five job and have money. So I started working in sales. Um, I did gas and electric uh, 
cross-selling business to business, which some days I was great at, but um, with the problem with being bi- bipolar is you're a bit different every day, which isn't very good for consistent selling. So on a good day, I could sell. On a bad day, I could not sell. And because I hated the job, most of them were bad days. It was very challenging. Through that, though, uh, there was a manager called Sharuk. He saw something in me sales-wise. He was like, he was like, look, you could do sales as like your career. And he left to go work for uh, this guy called Johnny Shamin and this guy called Ian Blackhurst. And Ian Blackhurst owned Sales Sharks, who was like a self-made millionaire. And they were setting up a new sales firm. Now, uh, when I got offered the job, we got offered uh, 23, yeah, 23 grand a year starting salary. I was earning 14 grand a year prior. And that was without commission. And uh, the way the commission structure was set up, in our first month, in my first month there, my first paycheck, I got like well over two and a half grand. I just couldn't believe it. Um, and, and this company, it was selling a, it, unfortunately it was funeral plans. So it wasn't very, it wasn't very happy. And um, it was a brand new like pitch and everything. So I was there when the script was made and this guy, Johnny, right? I've never met anybody like him. He was like, he was like, uh, he was like fucking Norman Bates. Like it, he was, he was a shark. Do you know what I mean? He was a, like a sales shark, this guy. He he made the script. And when he went on the phone, he came out with a deal. It was ridiculous. And I learned so much working for him. The problem we had is that people didn't want to fucking pay for their own funeral. And it was a very, very hard sell. And the first month, I don't know why, we sold loads. The second month, we sold less. And the third month the business like we were not doing what we needed to do and it became a stressful environment i was working from eight o'clock up at six eight until seven p.m uh monday to friday friday we would finish at three but that got scrapped when we didn't put deals on so i was working like so many hours and all this time as well trying to play in the band yeah there was one gig that we always talk about if anyone's like you know, you get asked in interviews, have you got any like horrible gig memories? We once played at, um, do you know Paper Dress Vintage in Hackney? Yeah, yeah, no, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the place Roach era aerial salad should really be playing. Um, <laughs> we got asked to do like, we've always, we've mo- recently we've been asked to do more, but we always used to get asked to do very few, but the odd indie gig here and there. And we were always very welcome to do those. We always thought they, they, they were always quite a bit different, you know, a bit ex- they were always shit and pay to plays. But like, you know, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, let's go be mainstream for a day. This is exciting. Um, but we went, we drove af- right after wo- I finished work. I managed to finish work at five, much to the dismay of my manager. Drove all the way down, played in front of six people. Um, people were like, ironically mosh to take the piss out of us. Everybody there was dressed like Noel Fielding. And there was like me in a fucking, oh God, what would I have been wearing at the time? probably a lag wagon shirt or something around those days um so we were very out of place and it was fucking shit and we didn't get paid either at all so we were a bit and we didn't go to gigs expecting to be paid 100 quid we were like maybe we'll get 30 quid and we just didn't get paid at all and we were like oh okay but we also understood because there was no there so we then drive back um I, i get home at three up at six, next day at work, and it was Friday, so I'm like, oh, thank God, finishing at three. We didn't put enough deals on, so our boss was like, not only are you staying till seven, you're coming in at seven tomorrow on Saturday, and you're fucking working until you hit your target. So we went in, 
on the Saturday and like, I'd just not had any fucking sleep. I was knackered. Like I was fucking knackered. I felt sick and I felt ill. And if you've uh, like, you know, when you, when you, when you're bipolar, tiredness is not good. Like exhaustion is not good. It's not what you want. It really doesn't help anything. Makes you very, very miserable. Right. And we were working all Saturday. Fortunately, we hit the target and I managed to put on two deals fairly quickly. We got out fairly early. Then on uh, the Monday, the next Monday, um, he, he like came in and he was reviewing the deals and he had a go at me for one of the deals I put on. Like he fucking, he was very much like he treated sales like a, managing a football team and he gave me like a Sir Alex Ferguson grilling in front of... <laughs> the other three people that are, you know, who were meant to be like these, we were going to be the managers. We were going to earn 50 grand a year plus commission on everything. Like we were sold like, you know, a capitalist dream effectively all the time. I wasn't really all the time, by the way, this was a career, but I still genuinely just wanted to do my band. Like that's all I wanted to do. Right. So I didn't want this, this dream I'd been given. I didn't want this, like what a lot of people would have been dead happy with. I really just wasn't enjoying it. Then my granddad, God rest him. Uh, my granddad passed away and he left me a bit of money and I, and it was enough money where I could, I, I was like, Oh, fuck it. I'm going to fucking quit this job right now. Like, so how did you walk out? I did it in the best possible way. Got him a bottle of his favourite brandy uh, and I got him a card that just said, yeah, I'm sorry, but I need to quit. I want to do my band. And Because he would also, he was very much, um, don't give up your day job. Like he would take the piss out of the band a lot. Like he would really take the piss out of me for wanting to do that. Because he was like, sales shark. He's like, you get a fucking real job. You, what are you doing? He's like, I'm offering you 50 grand a year. Eventually. He's like, why do you want to play in a shit, like your, your band? And, I, it was just, I was like, there's there's never been a question in my life that all I've wanted to do is in some capacity play music. So to me, it was just obvious. And then I managed to quit that job, um, had like the best time in that year, 2018, because we did... Uh, we did those three tours. We lost, we lost money on them. And like, I spent all of that money, all of that money went on doing those tours and recording the album. But it was like worth every penny. It was great. Like, I mean, the Raging Nathan's tour we did, I lost like three grand on. That was like most of it gone. Do you know what I mean? Like, mo- like, oh, sh- but one, yeah. t- but the thing is, is like every night we were just like, we could just like do what we wanted. We can eat and drink as much. We didn't have to worry about being on tour and being skinned because I was like, oh, it's cool. I'll just pay for it. It's fine. Like, you know, we got so much merch made and stuff like that. And it was, it's funny because it was kind of like an investment because that year, we did so much, so much touring and we bought so much, we got so much merch made and stuff like that. We did, so we were so active because we could afford to be. Then uh, last year where we didn't tour and we sort of like ran out of money and that like that we had to spend on doing the album. It was quite good because I think we, we, we'd done enough like activity where people were kind of like, you know, waiting to see us next. It wasn't like we needed to go play. It was like, oh, we can wait because people will be excited to see us. Jamie, there are some wonderful stories in there, and I reckon I can edit something together wonderfully. And also, I think we're going to have to do a second episode at some point. Cheers, no, no worries. I'm sorry for, uh, I'm sorry for babbling on it. It was very nice. To see. I'm going to learn a lot from this interview when I interview people. Actually, what what pronouns do you want me to use? You can use whatever. We've had it with all the album. It's like I've been getting called man for 24 years. They suits me very well. Thanks. Sweet. Thank you so much. It's been awesome.
Mate, thank you so much. Go back to the doll queue. Please don't tell P from the pub because he'll judge me, but I don't mind. I've been paying my taxes on time. I'm not central, not essential. I've never worked for the NHS. Yeah, I've clapped hands and I beat pants. Put away the kitchen utensils now. Don't let your P45 give you chills because we need jobs. We need 101 part time jobs. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.